last week I started talking about uh, how important it is to have internal tools for external success because uh, success usually has to do with what's on the inside and it manifests. Uh, so you usually fail or succeed based on uh, the way you think on the inside, how well you're resourced, uh, in many cases, uh, how well you're educated for specific businesses, um, or uh, the level of strength that you carry in inside of you. And not for nothing, but also to a certain degree, your strength is contingent upon what you expect. Like an example, I've shared this before, but if it's four in the morning and somebody calls you, you're tired, you've worked a 16-hour day, you just have absolutely no energy. And somebody calls you and says, listen, uh, cross town, they're offering $25,000 for anybody that get, would get there within half hour. What would you say? But you have no energy. But you worked a 16-hour day. You'll find it. It's in there. So uh, many times, your level of energy is based on your level of expectation. So people need to understand that. And many times, the reason why people are you know, just down, no energy, is because they have no expectation. There's no vision, a better vision for the future. Hence, then they're not expecting. So that energy doesn't come forth. It stays in, in a standby level. So um, Paul was saying that it's important that we worship God with our actions, with our life, with our very life. But it also says that we have to change the way we think. It's very important. And the way we think really um, interacts with society because our thoughts create our actions and our expectations. Many times we get disappointed, not because it's a bad thing, but we were expecting something and we didn't get it. So disappointment sets in, but it's all based on your mind, what you think, uh, what, what you think you're getting, or what you think you're not getting. So Ed Cole one time uh, said something, and it impacted me, so I shared it last week, I'll share it again today. He said, when Adam sinned, everything changed. All human nature changed from positive to negative. Even the earth became negative by entering into the curse as a result of sin. Adam's expulsion from Eden was symbolic of his expulsion from the kingdom of God as a result of his sin. Everything in human society became perverted as a result of Adam's sin. Now, everything in life must be converted from negative to positive. Even the ground must be converted by being cultivated, planted, and watered. Left to itself in its negative state, the ground will only grow wild with weeds. Isn't that interesting? You leave it alone, it won't bear nice berries and mangoes and bananas. It won't. It'll bear you weeds. Everything needs to be cultivated, even the ground. Uh, Jesus taught them that it isn't who you are or how powerful you are, but it's how open you are to servanthood. In fact, God deliberately doesn't choose the powerful to do his will. Last week I read this uh, illustration from Sermon Central. I'll repeat it for those that were not here last week. He says, this is, these are the type of people that God uses. I mean, look at the list. It's kind of unflattering. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Timothy, he had ulcers. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus, he was dead. John was self-righteous. Jesus was too poor. Naomi was a widow. John Mark, he was rejected by Paul. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Jonah, he ran from God. Miriam, gossiper and bigot. Gideon and Thomas, doubted. Jeremiah, depressed, suicidal, burned out. Elijah also, burned out. Martha, a worrywart. Samson, had long hair. Noah, he got drunk. Did I mention Moses had a short fuse? Peter, Paul, and well, a lot of folks also. 
Praise God. So, you know, we, we're in good company. There are no perfect ministers. There's only a perfect God. And in spite of our imperfections, He works with us and through us. Praise God. So the first thing I, I talked about last week was the issue of fear. First generation Israel never were able to receive the promises of God, even though God told them, this land belongs to you. They didn't receive it. Why? Because of fear. God said, this land is yours. Yeah, but we can't get in because there's giants in there. So go in and dethrone them. I've given you authority. We can't. They're too big. They eat their enemies. See, they, they had a greater concept and a greater respect and honor of their fear versus the, the almighty love and power and grace of God. And that happens with many of us today. Many of us today, we respect fear more than we respect God. We're always worrying. Jesus commanded us not to worry, but yet we're always worrying. And yet he commanded us not to. Hello? So who are we respecting more? So we have to deal with the spirit of fear. We have to make sure that we quench that. You know, you don't, your body will always have a tendency to want to fear, but you can control that. You can control it. You have to just get in the right mindset. The problem with fear is it'll kill your trust. It'll blind you. You won't be able to see anything except that tragedy happening, even though it might not even happen, but yet in your mind's eye, you're seeing it. It can paralyze you. It will not allow you to advance to your destiny, and it could cause you to lose out your greater destiny. So we have to stay away from fear. Uh, Paul, or rather, uh, David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil. So that's all it is, a, sh a shadow. The enemy throws you shadows. What if, what if, what if? We did that to Jesus. If you are the Son of God. What are you talking about? He is the Son of God. You see, he'll, he'll throw a little curve there to try to make you doubt what, a God, what God has created you to be. So we need to trust and love, not like Israel who lost out, but like Joshua and Caleb who were part of them. But when God said they can do it, they said immediately, we can go in. The other people said, oh, we can. They're giants. So there'll be food for us. What does that mean? Well, what does food do for you? It gives you strength. It nourishes you. They said a good confrontation will nourish our faith. It'll just make us grow. Most people run away from confrontations. They run away from problems. But yet Joshua and Caleb understood the secret to success is running to the problem. Amen. I got one amen and a couple of malocchios. Yeah, a couple of you said, what are you talking about? Problems are horrible. No, they're great. Actually, you get paid according to the problem you solve. You didn't get that. Yeah, if you can go to your job and find something that nobody else is handling it, Right? And you go and handle it, what do you think your supervisor is going to say? He's going to say, this guy has something or this gal has something that the others don't have. It's called initiative. So find a problem, take care of it, your remuneration is secure. Hallelujah. So we need to stop doubting and understand who we are in Christ. Second thing I spoke about was the issue of doubt. Doubt's a killer. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 21, 21, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, he had spoken to the fig tree and, and he had dried it out, but, even, but you will even say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and it will be done. So faith is, is a powerful thing, and God encourages faith. Most people criticize the, the hyper-faith movement, but you cannot uh, throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. Faith is essential. Actually, the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. You can't do anything in the kingdom without faith because faith is a currency of heaven. 
So why we, while we push out any notion of presumption, or just because you said it, it's going to happen, we understand that if God shows it to you, if God reveals it to you, he says, my son, my daughter, I want to do this in and through your life, you can trust God. He is faithful. Actually, it takes faith to be saved. You can't be saved without faith. You can't save yourself. You have to trust and believe in God. You have to trust and believe in the Messiah in order for that transfer to happen. When you believe and trust in Christ, what does he do? He takes you in. He forgives every sin. And he doesn't hide the sin. He cleanses you. He expunges the sin. It doesn't exist anymore. Right? Then he does another thing. And a lot of people don't understand this. He actually adopts you into his family. So you're no longer just a, a regular person uh, in the kingdom of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to my mom's house, I'm her son. So I go in with an attitude if I want. Oh, you, know, mom, you know, come on, where's the coffee? Come on, no, where's the tea? She says, okay, okay, mijo. Right away, right away. Why? Because I'm her son. You know, she, she, she'll do whatever I need. Right? Because I'm a part of that home. Well, you're part of the kingdom of God. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. See? But it takes faith to be able to, to be adopted into that family. It takes faith to be set free from any bondage, to receive wisdom, to receive your inheritance. It takes faith to walk in your authority. It takes faith to overcome, to write a book, to create a CD, to build that ministry, to build the business. It takes faith to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, so we understand everything in the kingdom of God requires faith. And one thing about Almighty God that I appreciate is He encourages our faith. In John 10.10, He came to give me life and life in abundance. Jesus said that. So I want my abundance. I want my abundant life. Does that mean five Cadillacs? No. That's not what it's talking about. An abundant life is a life filled with purpose. Where you have more than enough for you, for your family. Where you're doing what God called you to do. Where you're joyful in life. Amen? Where, where you're expecting every day, you get up, you're saying, I have a purpose to fulfill. That's an abundant life. James 4.2, the reason why you don't have is because you don't ask or you're asking wrong. Philippians 4.19, he supplies all of our need according to his riches and glory. So therefore, if there's a recession, I don't care. God doesn't supply my need according to recession. He supplies all my need according to his riches and glory. So if it doesn't exist in my immediate confines, God will supernaturally provide it because he's not limited to a recession. Praise God. God literally prospered one of the patriarchs. He sent him to a place where there was not enough food, where there was not enough water. And he says, go in there. He said, but uh, Heavenly Father, uh, it's not a go in there. I'm going to prosper you in that place. He went in there, sowed in that land that was barren, and that year he reaped a hundredfold. Why? Because God said so. You see, so it's not contingent upon the barrenness of the region. It's contingent upon your faith in God and faith in Him. See, because, see, faith is trust in something or somebody. If I trust in somebody that doesn't have any and doesn't care about me, I'm the fool. But if I trust in Almighty God, see, I can trust His nature, I can trust His character. He is faithful. He's not man to lie. See, so we have faith in God. Faith is not a formula. I just say, in the name of Jesus, be done. That, it's not a formula. Faith is confidence in a person. And when we trust in that person, the person of Almighty God, the person of Jesus, we are trusting the highest level of faithfulness. Praise God. Amen. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Proverbs 3, 6. He'll direct you. 
Psalms 1.3, and all he does, he prospers. Psalms 23.6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I say that every day. I confess it every day. Thank you, Father, that goodness and mercy follow me every day of my life. Galatians 6.7, what you sow is what you reap. I love that verse. You know why I love that verse? Because God's given me some control there. Because I, I reap what I sow. See, I don't reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. I reap what I sow. In other words, if I throw one seed in the ground, I can only expect one potential harvest. But if I'm busy sowing seeds all over the place, I can get myself a larger harvest for me and my family. Right? So if I want to sow friendship, I mean, I'll, I'll bless a lot of people. I will stand the way, you know, I'm waiting for you to come to me. That's right. That's right. You're not going to get anything. See, a sower is the one that will own the land. And farmers understand that. They throw ridiculous seeds into their field. I mean, a lot. And they throw it in order, according to what they want. If they want kumquats, they're going to sow kumquat seeds. Right? Yes, it's the way it is. They're specific and they target their seed. What are you targeting? Or are you, in, or, or are you in disorder? Some of you throw your seeds all over the place. You don't care. You don't cultivate your ground. You don't do any of that. But the Bible says, if I sow... I will reap. So I can actually control my harvest or I can increase my harvest by my actions. Give and it will be given unto you. So let me be a giver. Good, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give unto your bosom. See, so if I sow properly, God will cause men to give to me, to give to my family. Praise God. So it's, it's, one, it's a wonderful verse. I love it. So I practice it. I don't wait for things. I get active. Bam, I want to harvest. I get active. One of these days. No, no, no. Today's the day to sow. Well, I didn't sow in the past. Well, start sowing now. What can you sow? You can sow a lot of things. You can sow kindness. You can sow love. You can sow uh, work, labor. You can sow whatever you want to sow. In the name of the Lord, it will bear a harvest. Praise God. So we understand the importance of faith. And the third thing I spoke about was unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a very dangerous thing because Jesus said if we do not forgive, we cannot be forgiven ourselves. And I spoke last week of the king who had forgiven this guy the equivalent of something like $2 million worth of debt. And that guy went out and he put another guy in jail that owed him $20. So the king got angry at him, called him back. said, I forgave you $2 million and you can't forgive the guy 20 bucks. Go into jail until you pay back what you owe. And then the Bible says he was sent... And he, he was released to the tormentors. And here's the problem with unforgiveness. You get released to the tormentors. By that I mean that the offense remains in you. The pain of the offense remains of you. You can't get rid of it. It'll stay with you. I talked about that, that, that gentleman who um, had been offended by another gentleman. He went to the church and the, the preacher told him, what's the matter? I, can't, I have a problem. I have a lot of anxiety. This guy hurt me. He wounded me. Now I don't know what to do. I said, yeah, wow. I'm sorry to hear that. When did it happen? 50 years ago. 50 years ago, the guy was in his 70s. This happened in his 20s. And to that day, he was still feeling the pain of the offense. See, that stuff will stay with you. I've taught you years, uh, for years now that strong emotion acts like glue to the brain. If it's something crazy, you'll remember it. If it's something exaggerated, funny, you'll remember it. If it's something that causes you a lot of pain, you will remember it. And this guy never forgot it. And unforgiveness literally becomes glue. That emotion of that pain and that anger will remain with you for the rest of your life. And you get released to the tormentors. What's the torment? 
anxiety, anger. Uh, you make a decision based on that anger now. Your relationships are colored by that situation. So the best thing we need to do is release the people. Forgive them. Now, caveat. The caveat is some people I can forgive, but I can't fellowship with them anymore because they haven't changed yet. So you need to be careful. If somebody hurt you or, you know, abused or whatever, you can't just go back to them in relationship. They're still a mess until they change, obviously. But you can forgive them and release them. And then, you know, you sort of, you're sort of like you there and me there. We're at peace. But I'm at peace. I release that. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm not going to worry about it. I put it under the blood. And you move on with your life. And then you get healed. So unforgiveness is very important. Come on, say amen. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. The fourth thing, I don't think I taught this, so I think this is new ground now. The fourth thing is an unteachable spirit. Doctors go back to school every year. Lawyers go back to school every year. Companies send their salesmen to trainings constantly. It's necessary. We have to constantly learn. And, and the Lord set up a perfect plan. Um, he's perfect. It's called discipleship. You know, we know everything, so we don't need to go to discipleship. We don't need to go to the Monday or rather the Sunday morning teachings because we know it all. Not we need to sit down and study the Bible. We need to understand the scriptures. We need to train for our businesses. Some of you here have just graduated. I am so proud of all those that have graduated this year who have gone back to school because you're giving more material to the Holy Spirit to use you in greater levels, in greater realms. That is so exciting to me. So, you know, you need to understand that I can't get a job while you're in school. What was that? Well, you're going to stay where you're at. One time, Mike Murdoch went to the store, and he's buying a real fat book, and it costs, I don't know, something like 50, 70 bucks. So the guy, uh, you know, who's, who's at the teller, oh, not the teller, but my cashier. cashier, thank you. So the cashier looks at oh, wow, so much money. I've never bought, send that much money in a book. He says, that's why you're where you're at, and I am where I'm at. Wow. And you, you see the, the cashier. <laughs> he got kind of upset. But that's the truth. You know, wisdom, you, you can't put a price tag on wisdom, you know. And so unteachable spirit is, is a very dangerous thing because you think you're all big and bad. You know it all. When I was 20, I knew it all. Now that I'm in my 50s, I realize I didn't know it all. The older you get, the more you realize you don't know it all. Take it from me, 20-year-olds. You don't know it all. You need to learn some stuff. So, the, and part of our ego uh, causes us to push away from mentors, you see, for mentors. I remember years ago, and you, you might have heard me say it, but I'll say it again. A guy that was coming to this church, he came to me one day. He said, Pastor, I want you to teach me. I want you to mentor me. And I said, no, you, you're not ready. I said, no, no, no. I want you to teach me. I want you to mentor me. I said, you're not ready, I said. I'll tell you when you're ready. Um, and, and he said, okay, you know, please, please. I said, all right, fine. Okay, start fixing this. Lateness, this, that, bam, bam, bam. Start dealing with those issues and then come back. He got so offended at me. Because I hit him right at the kneecap. But yet for me, it was just, this is just mentorship 101. You've got to deal with this before you can really start getting into the heavier mentorship. He never came back. Where is he? Can somebody tell me? He's the cashier. <laughs> He's the cashier, right, right. That's good, that's good. Amazing. He got so off. Uh, uh, offended. Hosea 4, 6. My people perish for lack of understanding. In Proverbs 1, 5. A wise man will hear and he will increase learning. And interestingly enough, uh, one of King David's sons, his name was Absalom, was envious of his father's leadership. 
He didn't want to be mentored by dad. He wanted to be dad. So he tried to take over dad's kingdom and his throne. Eventually, he died in the process. But true sons and true daughters don't have a problem with the success of their fathers and mothers. Those who aren't sons will have a problem, and they will refuse to submit, and they, they will think they can do it better, and the end of that will be nothing. They're going nowhere. And so in the kingdom of God, we get this opportunity to walk with wise men. One time, uh, uh, Dr. A.R. Bernard from Brooklyn, uh, he was walking with an entourage of men. He would walk around with four or five guys, all well-dressed, sharp, sharp. And he'd walk around, and he was like, well, what is this guy? What do you think he is? Think he's a mayor or something like that? Hey, I got criticisms like that. I heard uh, and so one of them went up to him and says, how come you're always walking around with an entourage? He says, this is not an entourage. I am mentoring these men. How can I teach them if they don't spend time with me? And the guy went, oh, oh. Yeah, he mentors his men. And now he's got one of the largest churches in the United States of America. Right now he's got around 35,000 in membership. But that's what he did for years. He just had men walk with him and spend time with him. So... I, I appreciate that. And, and even today, not only in the kingdom of God, but in the area of my work, there are some men today that do what I do. They gave me an opportunity to mentor them. They gave me an opportunity to speak into their lives. And right now, they're doing very well for themselves. And I opened up my life to, to you want? Come here. This is what you got to do. Pop, 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 pop. And I spent a season with them, and now they're successful in what I do. And, and I appreciate that. And there's some men that are, are, are now pastoring. They spend some years with me. Praise God. Well, guess what? You get to do that too. Because you're supposed to always be mentoring somebody. One of the saddest examples in Scripture is King Ahab. He has the kingdom. He has his throne. He has the best of everything. So he looks over the wall of his castle, right? And what does he see? A small patch of land with some vegetables. So he says, oh, I want that. So he went over to the guy and he asked him for the patch of land. And this guy felt comfortable and safe because he was right next to the king's palace. Right? So he asked him for it. And, and the king says, I'll, I'll pay you for it. He says, this is the only thing I have for my father. It's, it's my father's inheritance. It's not for sale. I, I, I treasure this patch of land. And so the king went back. He was all upset. So his wife Jezebel goes, what's the matter, king? He said, this guy doesn't want to send me the land. Does not want to sell me the land. So he says, no problem. I'll take care of it. She set the poor guy up and sends spying witnesses in the court to lie about this guy. They execute the guy, and she takes the land and gives it to the king. Now, my point is this. How sad is it that this guy had a piece of land next to the king? It should have been the most protected land. It should have been the most safest place to be next to the king. So my question is, when people get next to you, are they safe? Are people better because they're hanging with you, or are they leaving worse off? So we have to be very careful. So people that come next to us, they should feel safe. They should feel blessed. They should get mentored. They should be able to feel safe around you. Praise God. When somebody comes to Jesus, what happens? Hey, he gives them life. He gives them provision. He gives them wisdom. So this is something that we need to deal with. The issue of having a teachable spirit instead of an unteachable spirit. The next thing I wanted to share is too many people give up too easily. I don't know what's going on with people today. Everybody gets offended. Everybody gets hurt. Everybody gets wounded. You can't do that. You got to toughen up today because the devil is launching an, a full-scale attack in this nation. 
There are philosophies right now that are shifting so quickly that you walk one day in one place, you come the next day, it's already changed. We as Christians have to understand our battle is not with one another. Tell your neighbor, look at him, look at her, and say, my battle is not with you. You're part of my family. My battle is with the devil. It's the way it is. Amen. We, we need to understand that. Because what will happen is, is part of the way the enemy works is he tries to get you discouraged. He doesn't want to take you out completely. He just wants to get you discouraged. If he can get you discouraged, he'll paralyze your forward momentum. Like what happened to Elijah. Elijah, he had the greatest success. I mean, he was able to take down over 700 false prophets at one time. And right after that, Jezebel came after him. Another Jezebel, Jezebel again. That Jezebel. Come after him, and she said, I'm going to have your head today. Today I'm going to have your head. So he ran away after having the greatest experience in his life, and he ran and he sat on the tree. He said, God, just kill me. I can't take this anymore. I have no more energy. And God had to send an angel to him and strengthen him. This isn't, your, your journey's not over. But because of that, he had to go and anoint somebody else. He anointed two or three men to finish the task that he had started. See, so discouragement and disillusion is a very powerful weapon of the enemy to try to get you paralyzed. So you won't move forward anymore in God. So you need to recognize it. You need to discern it. You need to catch it right away and shut it down. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, give him some praise. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 35 through 39 say this, says this rather. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For just in a little while, he who is coming will come back. He will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. But if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Praise God. See, so we got to press on, press on. Okay, this church had a fire years ago. All right, fine. We had a fire. We, 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 we lost our place, a beautiful place that we had for 14 years. Suddenly, all taken away from us. There were people that say, man, you know, you had a nice run. I actually had people tell me that, you know, you should let, you should, you know, hand, hang it up. I had a pastor call me, a good friend. He said, you okay, Victor? I said, yeah, why? Because they say that you left the ministry. I went, okay. Um, one of these days, I guess I'll find out about it myself. <laughs> Amazing what they said about us in this church. But yeah, we didn't give up. But watch this. Years later, fast forward, many people come to me, including many ministers, and say, we are so proud of you guys. You know, you, you guys have stood the test of time, and you're still there, and you continue to grow, and you continue to bear fruit, and you continue to add to the brethren to the faith. And we have a property. The first one, then we got to buy the next one. Hey, the kids, I, I have a faith like that kid. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah, but the Lord spoke a word to us. And when I was tempted to get discouraged, I was sitting in my living room. God then reminded me. He sent somebody to call me at that very moment when I was sitting down asking him, God, is my season over? And suddenly, boom, ring, the phone rings. Yes. Yeah, the Lord told me to call you and to tell you that wherever you go, he'll bless you. But your season's not over yet. <laughs> That's like kind of a direct call. Yeah, and, and then God called somebody else from Puerto Rico 
tells him to call me, and this is what she tells me. She says, I'm an intercessor for Puerto Rico, and the Lord told me, tell my servant Victor Nazario in New York City that I haven't called him to complain while I'm putting him through the process. Because I'm bringing him to another promised land, and that's going to be a place where his church is going to reap great rewards, and a lot of young people are going to be there, and you're going to bear a lot of fruit. Hallelujah, and God's going to bless you in that new place. So stop complaining and get with it, right? So from that moment, I went, okay, God, I repent. So if I have three people, uh, me and them three people are going to be the happiest three people on this earth. We're going to serve God and love him and worship him and, and dance in his presence, amen? I mean, of course, it was more than three, but I'm just saying, I made up my mind, I'm not going to complain anymore. I'm going to stop that nonsense because it doesn't bear anything good anyway, and I'm going to trust God and believe him. Praise God. So... It's, it's a vital thing today that we make sure we're in it for the long haul. Sprints are good, but they end too quickly. God didn't call you to sprint. He called you to a marathon. In Sermon Central, um, they had a good analogy. It's called slow and steady is best. The power of the Holy Spirit is not just for salvation, but for transformation. A process that might be slow and gradual, but here's the difference. If you take 10 gallons of gasoline, and release a tremendous amount of power and energy by just dropping a lighted match into it, it'll make a dramatic one-time impact, an explosion. But there's another way to release the energy in the gasoline. Place it in a fuel tank of a new Honda that'll give you 40 miles to the gallon. The, the high-tech engine will use that 10 gallons of gasoline to make a person be able to move ahead 400 miles or more. While explosions may be spectacular, but the sustained control burn has staying power. You don't want to be a flash in the pan. You want to make a difference in this world over time. You want to last for the long haul. You don't want the Holy Spirit to just save you and send you to heaven right away. You want him to use his power to transform your life. You want him to use you in this world for his kingdom purposes over the long haul. Amen? Just a good analogy. I appreciate that. Yeah, you could burn up for Jesus right there. Serve him for a week and, you know, and cast out devils for, for a week or a month. But how about you just live your life for him and impact people for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years? Amen. Praise God. The next thing um, is inner vision. God gave you the ability to see things that are not as though they were. That's how he operates. He'll say a thing and then he'll, he'll finish it in the seed form and then he'll send us to work it and to finish it here on earth. God finishes a thing before he ever starts it. And whenever he gives you a vision, in his mind, he already finished it. And in his mind, he already released all the resources you need on earth to make it happen. So now you take time and the marathon approach and make it happen. He already told us we have a building. He's been telling us that for, what, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years? At least. He's been saying, you're gonna, I'm sending you to a place, and I'm going to give you a building. And in the building, you're going to do this, 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 and that. Right? I went three years ago to uh, Prophetic Presbytery in, I, I want to say, somewhere in Ohio or somewhere, like, somewhere in that area. But it was a wonderful time. And at the end, when it was my time to go, the prophets got together and prophesied over me. And the senior prophet said this. He says, you want to have already a root in a community. The Lord says, not yet. In a very short time, but not yet. You're still tabernacling, but soon, and, and actually I don't see it many years. You're going to have a building, but it's not going to be like today. And you're going to have that building. It's going to be a great center. And churches are going to be birthed out of it. You're going to have teaching seminars. And, oh, he said a lot of wonderful things. And what we're going to do as a congregation. But the point is, it's been in God's heart. So when I came back, 
I said, you know, I, I told it to the congregations, we need to save money. Because all these years I've been wanting a rich man to come in here and just give us a million dollars so we could get the building. Not for me, for the building. Because I work, I get my salary. But I wanted the building. I've been wanting this building for years because there's so many things we can do. Right now we're here, but if I want to use next Friday, I can't. If I want to use Saturday, I have to ask permission. I don't want to ask permission. I want to have a four-day revival. I want to do a conference. I want the kids to do a, a concert. I want to bring in some names. Bring them here. Why? So we can show off? No, because it'll attract people, and they'll come in and get saved. We want to connect people to Jesus. So I want to bring in my friends to, to start ministering here. Praise God. So at that building, we'll be able to. But God said, not yet. Hold off just a bit. And I, but I want to I wanna announce. Calmate, chico. Calma. Hold off. And then, you know, I was like a, a, a horse chomping at the bit. I want to go, you know. But God says, the, the, the alarm hasn't gone off yet. Not the alarm, but the, the bell. Boom. Yeah, but that's the way we are. So a, lot of the, a lot of you guys are like that. You want to do it right? God, God says, God's going to use you. Okay, good. All right, I want to be a pastor tomorrow. Uh, no. Now comes the process. You're going to absolutely love the process. <laughs> Praise God. So that, that is absolutely vital that we consider this very important step. The issue of inner vision, God gave us the ability to see things as though they were already done. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He, talking about Jesus, was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy that he knew would be his afterwards. See, he saw while he's on the cross, he was looking at you. Restored. Families restored. People restored to the purpose of God. People restored back to the family of God. So it, it helped him to endure the process. So we need vision to endure many of the processes that we're going through. Right now, you go to that building, you go, oh my God, what a mess. If you're not a visionary, it'll turn you off. I go in there and I say, yeah, one step closer. I love it. I see all of that, you know, new, brand new piping. I know what that's going to do, what it's going to produce. Because of the vision I see, I'm willing to endure the process. The Apostle Paul learned about utilizing the power of a godly a vision to propel him to his purpose. He had a high expectation and joy concerning his future. He said this in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am not all that I should be. But I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God through Christ is calling us into heaven. See, so he understood. He saw what God wanted him to do. The prophet Isaiah also taught on the power of focus to, uh, to imagine what God can do in our lives. In Isaiah 43, verse 18, it says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. I'm going to say it again. Do not dwell in the past. I'm going to say it the third time. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. One of the beautiful things I love about the gift of vision is the fact that it has no limits. You could dream as much as you want to dream. You could see as much as you want to see. Yeah, but I'm just a little old. Yeah. Well, listen, even though you're a little old soul, so <laughs> if you have vision, you can accomplish great things in this life. The, the, the ones that envision things and then put them into action, those are the ones who rule. Bottom line. 
So use your inner vision to overcome and endure short-term challenges and frustration. Interestingly enough, a person one time said this, and I tend to believe him, that most people plan their vacations better and more thoroughly than their lives. You know why? Because it's easier to escape than to change. You want me to say it again? I'll say it again. Okay, 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 okay. Most people plan their vacations better and more thoroughly than their lives because it is easier to escape than it is to change. In one of the leadership seminars, this guy said, you know, the day before vacation, a person accomplishes five times more than he usually accomplishes on an ongoing week. <laughs> but yet we have that capacity to do that every single day. But the reason why we don't do it is because we don't have a vision. See, when you have a vacation, you have a vision. What's the vision? I want to get out of here. I want to go to Florida. I want to go to the Bahamas. So you think of yourself and you think about what I need to have, the glasses, the clothing, the, the bathing equipment, right? You think about the, the money you need to have. Uh, you think about your documents have to be in order. I mean, you become a, suddenly you become an administrative animal for the vacation. Yeah, it's amazing. And we all have that capacity. But most of us don't do it because we don't have an overarching vision for our lives. David and vision. Check this one out. He imagined how God would give him Goliath. He went up to Goliath while Goliath was ranting and raving and cursing. He said, you, your head on my hand in five minutes. That's what he said. Yeah. He said, today, God's going to give me your head. And then he went, proceeded and taken off his head. Amazing. But yet he saw it in his mind's eye before he ever saw it in action. What about Joseph and vision? Joseph is in prison, and yet God had given him a dream years ago. You're going to be a prime minister one day. You're going to be on top. Your own brothers are going to have to bow to you. Your own father is going to bow to you. And as a young man, he told his father that. His father did not appreciate that vision. His brothers did not appreciate that vision. So you know, what I, you know what you need to do? Sometimes God gives you a vision. Don't talk too much about it. Just prepare yourself. Don't See, the kid, he was young and cocky. He said, you guys going to bother me one day. And went, yeah, uh-huh, in our grave. And they literally, they, they set up together and sold this boy. They got so angry at him and so jealous at him. But while he's in prison, God's still using him. And God raised him up in the prison. My man became an administrator in the prison. He served God wherever he was at because he knew that one day he was going to be a prime minister. And he didn't know the exact time frame. But check this out. An hour before Pharaoh called him up, he was still in prison, still a prisoner, and still serving the people there and prophesying to them. Ten minutes before Pharaoh called him up, he did not know that his season was going to suddenly shift. But he kept on being faithful. He kept on trusting God. You don't know. You might be 10 minutes closer to your promotion. But you get, oh, you know, discouragement. Oh, it's never going to happen. Oh, my God. No, it's getting closer. See, so we, <laughs> yeah, some of you, man, when you complain, you look nasty. You look bad. You look just terrible. <laughs> yeah, so, but he kept on trusting God and bam, then they came, uh, you need to come with me. What, what, what? Come and clean up. The boss wants to see you. 
I wonder what's going on. See, he had been in prison for years already. It was not three months. He was in prison for several years before the Pharaoh calls him up. It turns out that one of the guys he ministered to had gone to Pharaoh and said, listen, you have a dream that needs to be interpreted. Well, I know a guy in prison. This, this is a man of God. He, he's in your prison. So, okay, bring him up here. And, and he came up and he interpreted the dream and right there, Pharaoh says, you know, I perceive you have the spirit of God in you. He says, I want you next to me. I want you next to me. And that, that's the beauty about it. You don't know who you serve. You don't know who you minister to. And, you know, people are so nasty to others. And that might be the door right in front of you. And you're talking nasty to that person. And you're disrespecting that person. Well, I'm disrespecting. They have none to give me. How do you know that? You can walk by millionaires. They're walking around with, with, with messed up shoes and messed up shirt. And their hair is all scraggly. And you, you pass by them. You're like, what a bum. That boy's a billionaire. He owns Facebook or something. You don't know. You just simply don't know. That's how come whoever you have a chance to do a kindness to, do it. Don't hold back. You don't know how the door is going to come for your promotion. You just don't understand. You don't know. You don't have to. Praise God. And God literally trained Abraham to how to see the future. He told Abraham in Genesis 13, he said, I'm going to make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anybody could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. God told him, look at the dust. Yeah. Count it. Uh, Can't be counted. But that's how your lineage is going to be. Look at the stars. Can you count them? Uh, No. Yeah, because if you can count them, that's how many children and offspring you're going to have. In other words, God was teaching him how to envision. You know why? He was going to have to wait a long time. Yeah, because he, God told him when he was young, younger, and he didn't have the child until he was about 100 years old. So it took him a long time. But let me ask you a question. Is anybody here patient? Are you more patient than Noah? Noah received the prophetic word, and 120 years later, <laughs> sometimes God will give you a word, and in two weeks, just ah, it's not going to come to pass. I've been waiting all this time, and it's not going to come to pass. God's just not, you know, he just forgot me. Well, when you can wait 120 years, <laughs> praise God. Internal vision works. Forget the things of the past. It's all under the blood. And then the last thing I just wanted to share is fearing the process. See, God processes his people. But many people fear it, and thus they reject it. They don't allow God to process them. That's a very dangerous thing. When God develops you, he's developing you for great things. Some of you are going through hardships right now or difficult things. Well, you know something? God's allowing this because there are some things you're going to learn from that process. So you shouldn't shun the process. You should ask God for wisdom in the middle of the process while you're going through it. Several things happen when God's people experience this development as you're becoming that man, that woman of God that God calls you to do, you'll always learn something. You'll always receive needed wisdom from your current or future ministry. Yesterday, uh, one of the pastors asked me, what does covering look like? And it's a very interesting question. Is would you come in and do this and do that uh, with the sheep? Or if they call you, will you counsel them? I says, no, I don't do that. You're pastoring them. I'm your pastor, but you pastor them. First thing I'll do is that they call me talking about you. I will tell them, 
Understand something. Before we go any further, your pastor will find out about this conversation. Because it's important that he knows. So if it's gossip, they'll stop right there. And I've told that to all my leaders here. If anybody comes to them regarding anything in the ministry or about anybody else, they have been instructed to tell them from the beginning. Before you go any further, pastor will know about this. It's transparency, yeah. But it's also it's a protection because if there's a gossip issue there, it'll stop right there. And I don't want gossip in this church. I want valuable communication. If we have uh, an issue with each other, let's talk it through. That's, that's godly. It's right. Confrontation is not necessarily a bad word. It, it, it's, so to speak, it's, it's clarity. Yeah, yeah, like the minister says, clarity. I love that word. You clarify and you realize it's not as bad as what, it, what you thought it was. So I, I, I was able to speak about that. But based on experience I had years ago, a pastor called me and told me, we don't appreciate you counseling my people. I said, well, um, with all due respect, I don't counsel your people. Yeah, look at this letter. And he, wrote, uh, he read the letter, and the letter actually said that um, I had counseled the person. And I don't remember that. I remember the conversation, but it, was, it went like this. It says, why are you calling me? Well, because my pastor doesn't understand me. Well, then try to have your pastor understand you better. Give them time so they, it'll make them a better pastor. But in reality, I, it's nothing I can tell you. So I sent the person back to the pastor. And that's it. But in the letter, that person said that I had counseled the person. And so he was upset at me because I was counseling his sheep, which was not really true. But that hurt me. It wounded me because he thought I was doing that. So I learned years ago by experience, and that caused me pain. And I had to walk a while with that pain. See, so today, I know exactly. If, if some, some other person comes and criticizes their pastor, I'll go, ooh, have you told that to your pastor? And then I go and call the pastor. Are you aware that your sheep is upset or something like that? So this way, they can have a better, they can have an opportunity to make that right. You know, because sometimes we hurt people by mistake. It's, we're not trying to. But we do hurt people. I understand that. But if, if I don't know it and you're offended at me, what does that do? It doesn't heal you. And it doesn't give me the opportunity to make it right. You see, so experience will teach you. The process of God will always reap wonderful benefits in the future. Remember this. The people of Israel, they left Egypt and eventually entered their inheritance. However, they had to go through a process in order to get there. Joseph was sold into slavery, but after he went through the process, he became prime minister. David left the cave, the cave of Adullam, under much frustration to become king of Israel. Jesus started in the stable, but where did he end up? King of kings and Lord of lords. Zechariah 4.10, do not despise the small beginnings. For the eyes of the Lord rejoice to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. In other words, when small things begin, that's just the beginning. It's the seed. We're just a small church. It's just the beginning. I'm seeing the thousands that will be ministered, you know, with, with our uh, hearts and with our ministries together, collectively. Amen? God blessed Isaac, even though he had sent him into a land where there was famine. He sent him through a process. He taught him. You could... You could trust me in the good and in the bad. So, as I conclude, somebody did say amen, right? Okay. As I conclude, all right, at least five people over here woke up. As I conclude, wherever we go, wherever we go, God is with us. And he gives us internal tools 
for external success. But the bottom line, make no mistake about it, the success begins here. The, su the success begins in your vision of catching God, hearing God, having that relationship with Almighty God. He is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We're God's people. His blessing will overtake us. But remember, it all starts with a personal relationship. I cannot stress this enough. Most Christians today are too busy doing so many things that they have the Martha syndrome. I'm busy doing, and they're not busy enough getting into relationship and hearing the Holy Spirit. So every day we have to develop that relationship. You know, I, 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 I cannot stress enough how important that is. If you love someone, it's not a chore. It's, it's a joy. So as you develop that relationship with the Holy Spirit, you and God, not your wife's relationship, your husband's relationship, your father's relationship, your uncle's relationship, what? No, it's none of that. You, your relationship with Almighty God. You don't get saved by mama's faith. You don't get saved by daddy's faith. You, you get saved by your faith. Praise God. So as we consider these things, let's give God the glory. Let's thank him for all the tools we already have, we already possess, because God gave them to us. He gave us the victory already. We're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. <laughs>